That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. Well, that's what she said. Hi, welcome to the latest edition of That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. Going to get right to my interview today because two old friends talking who haven't seen each other in a while. And so we went a little long, but it was good. It was fun to catch up with Paula Ferris. You can see her on The View, Good Morning America, a whole bunch of other places. Uh, she used to be a sports reporter in Chicago. And when I first moved back to Chicago from L.A., uh, we'd see each other at all the same events and games and locker rooms and kind of looked up to her and learned from her. So I love seeing her succeed on the national stage. And it was great to catch up with her and hear about how she balances uh, all the different uh, – requirements of the job and even some unique uh, starting points from her as a kid not being allowed to watch the smurfs yeah you'll understand in a minute here's my interview with paula ferris that's what she said happy to welcome in old <laughs> chicago friend paula ferris you can see on the view and good morning america and all sorts of stuff on the abc and disney family and used to be a uh, fellow sports reporter in chicago until she blew up and went national and uh, hopefully has not forgotten about the little people thanks for making some time paula <laughs> <laughs> Sarah, I would never forget about the little people. I am a little a little person still. <laughs> I don't consider my listen. I <laughs> right. I know I I still consider myself just a a girl from the Midwest. So oh, okay. there's nothing special. I just you know I have a really cool job. So but it can all be gone in the blink of an eye. So I don't that take anything true. for granted. That's for sure. That is true. Well, I'm so excited to talk to you about all sorts of stuff. But as usual on this pod, I like to start at the very beginning. So I want to know what kind of okay. kid you were. Oh, what do you think? I What kind of kid do you think I was, Sarah? Um, just, just guess. Just. Yeah, I think that you probably were a good listener. You were, you did not act out a lot, and you were enthusiastic yeah. and involved in a lot of activities. That's very broad. Um, I was very enthusiastic. <laughs> I'm not a psychic. I was the, uh, <laughs> um, by the way, it's, it's great to have you. We've been Sarah and I, by the way, for those that are listening, um, besides our parents, um, we have been trying to do this for a very long time. I know. And I, 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 I almost pulled the plug today because I'm recovering from the flu. So, but I said I can't because I love Sarah so much. I um, and I was looking it. forward You're to having her. a conversation. <laughs> Sarah, I am, I'm playing her. I'm taking one for the team. No, but I, I, this will not surprise you. I was a complete tomboy. I did not own two Barbie dolls and I mutilated them. So <laughs> my parents were like, okay, maybe that's not her thing. Uh, I, I, I had, uh, I played with my, my older brother's friends all the time. So I just, I don't know. I love getting muddy and running around in the backyard with huge cornfield, um, in the backyard. And so, um, literally I would be gone until, you know, hours, hours on end, just exploring. So very much a tomboy, love to explore. Um, wasn't ever, ever a girly girl. Like my, my fondest memories growing up with my father are, going to Michigan football games every Saturday we would either go to the football game or we would watch the game on the couch so nice. and I think that's that's one of the reasons that was kind of the impetus for kind of steering me in the direction of sports when the time came to, to choose a, a career but um youngest of four kids had scrap for everything very much a, a fighter very yeah. stubborn ask my husband I was stubborn then and I'm still stubborn so but uh, I'm very loyal at the ditto. end of the day too ditto. so uh, yeah, Jackson, yeah. Michigan. You'll be happy to know that after doing a season-long college football bachelorette, after all of the teams <laughs> tried to woo me, I ended up with Michigan with uh, Harbaugh and the khakis oh. and all that. So now we are you, we are rooting for the same squad. Uh, I I love that, and we converted you. How did yes. I don't know how that happened, but but it just felt we're right. Lucky to have you. 
You know what, though? I got to say, I was so excited when Harbaugh came uh, to to the University of Michigan. He was my first imaginary boyfriend when I was about (laughs) 10 years old. Um, But I've been really disappointed in the program. Yeah. You hear all the great tales of his recruiting, and he's so creative and fun and endearing and energetic. But at the same time, you're like, make it show up make it happen field. i know yeah. <laughs> and i and i think i think every michigan fan like i don't care if if, if we lost every single game until ohio state as long as we just destroy yeah. ohio state we'd be okay yeah. and i think that's the thing that's the, the ohio state and urban meyer i mean They've urban meyer so is good. definitely so dominant so dominant but hey well he was your imaginary <laughs> boyfriend fast. I think my one of my junior high teachers, I'm pretty sure, was really dating him because she told us he, she was his tutor, one of his tutors at Michigan, and she was a babe. I mean, looked like Barbie. And so I, I wouldn't wow. be surprised if, yeah, you know. If something else day, was going on. Back in the day. That's right. If he was earning his earning Yeah, his exactly. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Outside of the classrooms, you know what I mean? That's right. Um, um, okay, so you were you were a tomboy, and um, did you know at a young mm-hmm. age, were you, were you into school plays or entertaining or even journalism or writing? I, I really liked writing growing up, um, and I was in drama quite a bit. I wasn't just a drama queen, as my <laughs> brother would say. Um, but, yeah, I was, I was into acting. Probably, I don't. I don't think starring as a, you know, in the Nutcracker in fifth grade really counted, or mm-hmm. you know, Turkish Delight for a Lion Witch in the Wardrobe. I, I really started um, enjoying acting more when I was in high school, but I, but it, I was so frustrated with my with my drama teacher because he continued to cast me as a narrator, and I'm like, what mm. the heck? Like, I want to actually have a substantial part. I don't want to narrate, but he's like, the narration is probably one of the more important parts. Yeah, so much memorizing. And, yeah. It's, it's, well, tons of memorizing. You're responsible for keeping the pace of the production. So, um, and I, honestly, when I look back at it, he's the one also that advised me to go into broadcasting. Hmm. So, because he I, I was able to tell a good story just with the intonation and whatnot. So, yeah, that's um, interesting. But yeah, why are you asking me if I was into drama? I'm just curious. I'm just, just well, because I, I'm always like, interested in whether people came out and even at a young age, they were born entertainers. Because I think it's fascinating when people uh, say they were shy. Yeah. I've never been mm-hmm. shy in my life. Not for a second. Yeah. So it's funny you to know, me when people grow out of that and become someone who's mm-hmm. on television or willing to perform for people I think some for a lot of people it's just always been there yeah I think I think there's definitely an underlying element for me that's always been there but I do have an innate shyness I was very I I was a little bit more uh, of an introvert growing up probably because I went to public schools and I kind of got lost in, in the shuffle and didn't know who I was and I was very much of a follower instead of a leader. And I kind of came into my own in high school and became a little bit more of an extrovert. But even now I feel like I'm a, I, you know, most people are ambiverts, Sarah, which means you have tendencies to to turn both ways. If you know what I mean? Um, In terms of personality. Uh, (laughs) So I, I think because of, I work in this business where you're like always on and it's such an adrenaline rush and you have, it's a performance almost that, you have moments where you just like, I just want, I want to be alone. I want to just stare at a wall. I don't want to talk to my kids. I don't want to talk to my husband. Like I, I just need those moments of, of silence or just where I'm kind totally. of zoning out. Well, not, I think that's this industry to too. If I talk for four right. hours on the radio, I don't really mm-hmm. want to go talk to people. I want to sit and space out for a little while before I check back in on, on going full, right. full bore. So I totally yeah, get you that. Don't wanna, 
you don't want to talk to people who are going to ask you inevitably about right. what do you do? Right, exactly. How cool is that interview? Like, <laughs> and that's why, like, I really, like, I'm still tight with my college girlfriends. Cause they don't, we don't talk shop. I don't want to Yeah, talk a lot shop. of my friends you know, don't my husband, care. But, they don't care at all. Yeah, I, but that's what I appreciate. They're like, who'd you interview today? Like, whatever. Like, they whatever. don't get caught up with what I do for a living. And I, but that's what I love because I, I love to be able to leave it behind for sure at the end of the day. So I was listening to another, another pod with you and you, you talked about how um, your family is, is very faithful and you went to a couple Mm -hmm. different kinds of religious schools. But the the thing that stood out to me was that you weren't allowed to watch Smurfs because Gargamel was the the dark side and that your parents had a newsletter Mm -hmm. that told them the morality of various (laughs) movies and that would tell them whether you were allowed to watch something. Oh my gosh! And the irony that I'm now watching like all of these Oscar movies because I have to host an Oscar show. Oh gosh! None of them. None of them would like, be approved so, of. Yeah. No, I, I like <laughs> it, it. So I have a funny story to tell you in a second, but about that. Yeah, my parents were like super conservative, um, and they had they would order this this guide. It was called Movie Morality Guide, and <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, like at the end of the day, I can't even watch a G-rated movie. It would break. Oh it would gosh. break into category like innuendo, references, well, words, blah blah blah. I, mean, I know, but the Smurfs. I'm telling you, like my, my parents were a little extreme. They yeah. realized their the error of their ways, and I think every parent, um, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. And they've right. apologized to me for certain things. I couldn't after sixth grade. I couldn't trick or treat either because it was the, apparently the devil's holiday. Oh so, my gosh. Um, so yeah, God. it was. I had it was pretty strict. I would say a little legalistic in, yeah. in many respects. But right. my it's parents like Footloose. Of, was you, dancing prohibited? Yeah. <laughs> no, ironically, we could dance, and my okay, parents good. were giving me alcohol at age five. So what? I've always oh been my god! Yes. Yeah, my parents weren't giving me alcohol, but I was watching like Eddie Murphy coming to America when I was like seven and walking around yelling, this will get bleeped. Yes, yes, you too. Oh my gosh, I have a funny story. Do you watch The Crown? No, but uh, people rave about that. Oh, it's so good. And it's so historical. You you literally are, are watching um, historical, you know, it's nonfiction. Okay. So I, my parents were in town uh, about a month ago and I was like, you guys should watch an episode. It's you know, it's like the most modest show, honestly, right. you know, with everybody speaking in British accents. It's the one episode, like oh, nothing no. scandalous has happened. We're in season two. The one episode that I decided to tune in for my parents who are 82 and 78. Oh. And did I mention conservative? Yeah. Um, one of the characters, they're they're showing how how much of a philanderer he is. And he is like banging every chick. Oh, no. And, he, and there's, it's like full nudity. Well, there's one scene where he's <laughs> having relations with somebody on a ladder. And my dad's like, what is he doing to her on that ladder? Oh, God. And I said, oh. I was like, I'm sorry, you guys. We're going to turn this off. John I feel Knight, like everybody's got one of those, right? One of those <laughs> terrible stories where you just... My dad ended up... Somehow everyone left the room at the same time. This was when we were not... We, the kids weren't around, but... And he was just him and my mother's mom during a graphic oral sex scene in a movie. And everyone had walked uh-huh. out at the same time. And he's like, okay. <laughs> this is uncomfortable, isn't yeah. it? Oh, gosh. That's oh, my funny. gosh. Yeah. But so, okay. So, have a good, they have a good yeah. sense of humor about yeah, it. Yeah. So. They've kind of grown really out of it good. a little bit. But at the time, very conservative, totally. very strict. And then you totally. went on um, from high school. You went on to Cedarville for college, which is just as conservative and strict, right? It's. It's a raging, yeah, no, it's a, it was a very conservative school. Um, we had a dress code, but I guess that's not totally out of the In norm. In college? We had a dress code, but we, yes. Wow. They, they loosened it up. 
they would definitely loosen it up while I was there, but we were not allowed to, it's a dry campus and still is a dry campus. Wow. Um, yeah, there was, there was a time where they didn't want the students to go to the movies. My parents were never that strict. Like there's, there's a, a, a like a, a denomination or a sect of certain like Baptists where like, they're general association or regular Baptists or they're very strict and they can't see movies. They can't dance. Like my parents were never like that. Peterville um, back in the day when I, when I was going there, like they were definitely kind of finding their way. Um, and my philosophy was, listen, I don't necessarily line up, um, you know, theologically with them, but it's four years. I really like the school. I'm going to get a great education. I was going to meet a lot of people. And I figured I'll obey the rules because, you know, I didn't mean that I agree with them. Because at any point in our life, we're going to have to submit to some sort of rules. Right. Whether it's so just learn discipline or, and yeah. Yeah, it's, exactly. So, and I, I met my husband in college. So college sweetheart, he Aww. played basketball when I was in the broadcasting program. So, uh, so yeah, it, it was, a, it was a good decision. It was definitely a strict school. So, um, and they're, they're much looser. I, I would think now than they were back in the day when I graduated in 97, dating myself, I've been out of school <laughs> over 20 years. So it's a great experience. It, it was a really great experience. I wouldn't what, take anything back. What didn't you like about it? I mean, I feel like you've, mm-hmm. you embraced the structure. You embraced, you know, obviously sure. you met your husband there. Was there stuff that you, even in that moment, you felt you already were like, I, I don't, I don't need or want this. Um, and the things that I didn't embrace, I'm always that type of person. I'll, I'll like jump in with both feet and I'll try to have a good attitude about it. But like in hindsight, I wish that I would have loosened up. I wish that I wasn't so focused. Like the focus there was really on like servitude and, and mission trips and, and almost not asceticism, but just really like, like altruism. So my senior year, I still regret this. My, my, one of my best friends and I, um, instead of going on spring break with, with everybody for like our last hurrah, we decided to go on a, a mission trip and we, we went to um, we went to South Dakota to to uh, help build houses with like Habitat for Humanity, right? And um, which is a good thing, okay? It is. But like we, but the reason that we did it was we felt that we had to. Do you right. know what I mean? It was we a show of faith it versus was, it yeah, was, yeah. It was well, there was this expectation where everyone's trying to like do good, out do good the other person, right? Right. And some sense, and there are worse things and than you, that. But sometimes you do need to just let loose a little and have fun. Yes, I, I I should have let loose. I I shouldn't have been so consumed about my grades. Honestly, I'm like that's my advice to college students: work hard, but make sure you play hard too. Because that college is it's about you need to have a well rounded yeah a well rounded um, experience. And honestly, like nobody was looking. I mean, I got, I was paid what seven eight dollars an hour coming out of college to work in broadcasting. Nobody was looking at my GPA honestly, right. <laughs> right. and it's going to be different. I don't know, I, and I know it's just that totally, it, it, you know, what we went into, and as opposed to an account, it's totally different where we'll be would be looking at your performance in college. But maybe for me, I, I wish I would have just loosened up quite a bit. That's that's yeah. my my big regret, and just had more experiences instead of been right. consumed with my grades and. It feels like more and more that's the message. Right. It feels like more and more that's the message people are trying to send. It's like a combination of either half the people are like millennials are lazy and don't work hard. And the other half are like, Mm -hmm. oh, my God, we put so much pressure on kids now that they never just explore and have fun and figure out who they are. Like, it's always somewhere in the middle there. But um, all right. So so you you leave college and and 
presumably you and now your very serious boyfriend, who became later your husband, have to decide together Mm -hmm. where you want to go and what you want to do? We did. So I was actually, I robbed the cradle. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if you, you knew this. I was two years ahead Whoa. of John. So, yeah, I know it was quite scandalous. Um, I remember we had first started dating and I I had to go to, it was my senior year, spring of my senior year, I had to go to CNN Sports Illustrated in Atlanta. Can you believe CNN? Did you remember CNN as I existed? Inga Hammond yeah, and Chris I remember Rose. hearing about it. I don't think yeah. I watched it, but yeah. yeah. Okay, so <laughs> I went, I interned down there. So and we had just started dating. And I wasn't sure what was going to happen, but I graduated, I returned and graduated, and he was still playing basketball. So we would see each other like once a week. I would drive back. I was living in Columbus at the time, Ohio, with my girlfriends. We decided, like, we could go anywhere in the world. Where should we go? Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, not very sexy, but uh, we, we wound up in Columbus, Ohio, and um, John and I continued to date and we got married and let me see, I graduated in 97. We got married in 2000. So, so young. Yeah, we were together. Yeah. yeah, I know. I was, I was just shy of 25. He was, we were both 24 when we got married, which is insane. Wow. But I know people, people criticize me all the time in the East Coast. You don't know who you are. I'm like, yeah, well, I still don't entirely know who I am. My mind <laughs> right. is changing and evolving. If so you're growing together, it's okay. Evolve. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, oh, so you can only grow together with somebody in your 30s and 40s? No, I mean, it's, it's, I will say it's tough because I don't think you necessarily are comfortable. I, I was never comfortable in my own skin until maybe my 30s and 40s. So, But right. it, it wasn't because of who I was with. It was just because of my own insecurities. So, but yeah, we get married and we're living in the Columbus, Ohio area. And I was like doing, at the time I was working in radio, radio sales. And John was coaching basketball at Central State University. And I just, I wasn't, I, I knew I wanted to get back into TV in some capacity because that was what I had done in college and uh, my internships. And that was really what I was interested in. And uh, it was right after 9-11. And I said, you know, what, I'm going to, I, I want to get back into TV. I'm going to quit. I was making great money. At 25 years old, I was probably making back then 60 grand. Okay. Oh, in radio yeah. sales. Right. Which is excellent money. Yeah. And for sure. I said I was gonna quit, but I didn't have a luxury to move anywhere in the country. When you know, when you're starting out in, in broadcasting, especially if you want to get an on air job, you have to be willing to go to like, any market. Right. Market two hundred. And I didn't have that luxury because John was coaching and he was happy and I didn't wanna uproot him from what he was loving. Um, so I just I quit my job and I handed out my resume at all the stations in Dayton, Ohio just to get my Put in the door. I was not. There was no expectation of what would come of it. I just said, "Let me. I'll be a PA, whatever." So, uh, Ian Rubin, who was the news director in at the NBC slash, they were a dual affiliation, NBC and Fox, WKEF and RGT, hired me as a PA and gave me a shot. And uh, I said, "I said down the road, I, I would love to report." And I was not insinuating that I wanted to report in Dayton. right away. Right. I just said down the road. I just said down the road. He's like, oh, it's too big of a market. You'll never do it here. And I was like, okay, that's fine. But he didn't know I was borrowing the equipment from the sports guys, uh, Ryan Brandt and Don Brown. And I said, I'm going to borrow the equipment. I'm going to go shoot my stand-ups. I'm going to shoot some footage of these games. I'm going to shoot some interviews. I'm going to edit a tape. And I gave it to Ian Rubin, uh, the news director, a couple months later. He's like, wow, you did this? And he was just like, oh, she's cheap and she's easy. She's turnkey. You know, one <laughs> wait, man wait, wait. Band. You're talking about work still. <laughs> 
work cheap and easy. She's cheap and like, easy. I was making seven, eight bucks. Yes, yeah. let's clarify that yeah. right now. That's definitely the, the bit got, I'm going to use to promote this. Just yes, no context. Not, not how I got the job, okay? Um, he knew he wasn't going to have to give me a pay raise, and he knew that I wasn't, he was not going to have to hold my hand, that I could just, I was completely autonomous and independent. And that was the great thing about the, the education, you know, at Theaterville was it was very handy hands-on we were producing all of the men's basketball games you know we were working with the cable company i worked with the olympics so it's very hands-on so that was um anyway i gave him the tape and i said this is what i can do just fyi you know, i'd never been on tv before i just worked behind the scenes and he's like this is good he said give me another tape and i'll think about it and i was in the midst of making another tape and he put me on the air so, wow. but I was, I would anchor, I, w- I was doing sports and news and I would, I would anchor one show and then I'd be like running prompter the next show. So, you know, and, you know, and then doing all my other random duties uh, in addition to that. So I did that for a year and then I thought, or I just, I wanted to, to move on because I was still, he wouldn't promote me to just a full-time reporter. I was still juggling all these other jobs. And I just wanted a full-time report. And so I got a job in Cincinnati at the ABC affiliate there, which just just came out of nowhere. Yeah. And um, I worked there for three years as the weekend sports anchor and um, sports reporter. And that was awesome. And then I moved to Chicago where we met. And our lives never the same. And so this whole time... Um, you're this supposed was... to say, no, they weren't ever the same. Right. No, no. Oh, you're right. You're right. Our, totally lives, our, you up. our lives were never our lives the same. Our lives were never the same. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, in, I'm indebted to you in so many ways that you'll find out <laughs> no, later in the podcast indebted. when I think of them. Um, no. Uh, it has but, nothing to do with being cheap and easy. Right. Exactly. exactly. Um, so you... Um, your husband was coaching throughout that, that time in Cincinnati as well. You were able to go from that same area? <laughs> yes. Okay, yeah, and then what happened with Chicago? Lived, then we were living just north of Cincinnati. Okay, uh, it was which was equidistant to Dayton and to to uh, Cincinnati, so we were living in between. And we didn't. He kept his job when I was working in Dayton and Cincinnati, but then when I got uh, recruited to go work in Chicago, he walked away from it. Which I mean, how many guys do you know would walk away from their career for their yeah. woman? He's he's pretty awesome. So I take it takes a like a pretty awesome guy. To, yeah, we're going to get into that later, that actually, uh, as your star <clears throat> continues to yeah. rise. Um, so how long were you in Chicago total? Six years. Oh, Six wow. It seems years. like longer than it. that. Yeah. I know. Um, so, I, see, I miss it. I still consider myself, well, I'm born and raised in the Midwest, but I don't know, Chicago still feels more like home than yeah. New York does. And I've been in, I've been in New York now. It's, it's just last month it was longer than I was yeah. in Chicago. Hmm. So, I think a lot of people say that about Chicago, rooted. right? And it feels yeah, like it's the time of, of your life that you get somewhere to where something begins to feel like home sometimes. It, yeah, yeah, it, it definitely, it's it's such a great, it's a clean city, it's a doable city, you have a great quality of life, I mean, wonderful sports teams, great food, it's just, it's it's a world-class city. And yeah, then, you don't have to you sell know, me you, on it, yeah. <laughs> I know you still live there, right? I'm digging in my heels, girl. Um, so, so, so you get to Chicago, and that's when the switch went to sports, or were you in news first? No, um, in Chicago, I got re- I was recruited to be to work solely in sports, and actually, that was the impetus for me leaving. I wanted to stay in Chicago. I had no intention of ever leaving, and I remember people 
had routinely asked me, would you ever go to New York? I was like, hell no, you can pay me enough money to move to New right. York. I never had any desire to come to New York. Um, I wanted, I had had, I've been there six years. I just had my second kid. And I just said, I had talked to the management there. I said, I'd really love to transition to news, but not hard news. I'm not a hard news girl. I, I, I would love to do a morning show where you have to wear a variety of hats. You have to do a little bit of sports. Yeah. You have to a little bit of, do a little bit of news, showcase your personality. And they're like, um, I don't think anybody here will ever see you as anything but a sports girl. That's so, odd. Yeah. I was, Why did you want to get so, out of sports? I wanted to get out of sports. I didn't want to get out of it entirely, but I had two kids and I was working two to 11 and I was just not seeing my husband. I wasn't right. seeing the kids. And then you get home and then you're watching games at night. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, so I just, for me, it was a, a total lifestyle. I wanted to be up. I wanted to work early in the morning and then I wanted to be home with them, you know, for the rest of the day. So, yeah, you know, it's just, interesting. Because like, if, think... if they're in school, if they go to school, like you're, you're never seeing your kids. If yeah. you're working two to 11, two, right. two to 11 piece. So, well, it's it's hours, a lifestyle decision. And I think also it's not that news is easier I think it no. just, and I've never done it, but it doesn't feel, and maybe not as much right now because the political landscape is creating a news moment every second of the day. Like you can't even remember yeah. what happened last week because there's so much new to keep up on. But, but other than that, I would Bloody say, the zone. Yeah. right. Sports is such a barrage, right? Mm-hmm. If you miss something and you're talking about it the next day, it's already too old. Like you've, you've already, yeah. oh, this, he had 35 points his last game. No, that was two days ago. The last game he had two yeah, points, yeah. right? It's, it, it never ends. It never stops. And so I feel like even though news is a totally different animal and it, and it has its own difficulties, it might be easier to not feel like you have to be paying attention at all times. Exactly. I mean, you can, you, you have to be, when you, especially like if you're covering Chicago sports, and let's say summertime, you're responsible to watch both of those games, both the Cubs and the White Sox play nine innings of baseball. So, you know, and you might, if you're going to be on the radio for a couple of hours the next day or in TV, you have to know every, the big moments. You have to know what questions to ask. So it's not like it's, I'm not saying it's easier to fake it in news, but you can like, you can get caught up in news. If you miss something, you can, you can easily read about what happened totally. and research and know and be in the know as opposed to sports where like you're, you're staying on top of, you got to watch, you literally have to, you're watching everything um, just to, just to stay afloat, which I love. I've always loved watching sports, um, but it just became, it just became a lot. That's all. And so, you know, I, and I also, I, I started to begrudge the fact that like I got into sports because I loved it and because I had a passion for it. And now it's like when it becomes your job, it takes a little bit of the joy out of it. And Mm -hmm. I didn't, I also didn't like what that was doing. Like I love to be a fan and I love to go to games and I like to go to baseball games, score the game. And I don't like, I don't go socialize. Okay. Like I truly enjoy (laughs) watching the game. Um, in a Super Bowl, we went to a big party at Michael Strahan's house, like a bunch of the staff from GMA and, I just wanted to sit and watch the game. I was oh, like, totally. I don't mean to be anti-social. But Audio like, up. I stop like, talking to me. <laughs> they, exactly. Like, I'm that girl that I, and there are many out there like me, such as yourself. Where I just like, I just want to, I just want to tune everybody out. It's not the time for me to socialize. I mean, yes, I'll eat my food. I'll eat all the great Super Bowl appetizers, but I want to watch the game. That's why I'm there. So, um, I don't know where I was going with that. But, Basically yeah. that you can do that more now if it's not your full-time yeah. job. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yes. so I do enjoy, and and like we go to games and we have great time, and 
I don't know. I just it's it's easier to to remember what it. You remember why you got into sports to begin with, and I I feel like I have that love and appreciation, and I still get to dabble in the world of sports um, with a lot of the sports stories that I'm doing. I do a lot of stuff, you know, on CTE, and I get to interview, still interview, um, you know, a lot of athletes, and I get to pitch stories, and um, you know, I got to go to the World Cup for a month in Brazil a couple years ago. So um, you know, it's 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 not like it's out of my life completely. They, they rely on me for a lot of, um, a lot of sports related stories. So, yeah. So let's so. talk about that. So you're in Chicago, you've been there six years. You're totally beloved. Uh, you've got a great relationship with oh, the different teams you. and the fans love you and the other media folks <clears throat> love you and you're, you've got a family. And at that point you had two kids, right? Cause the third didn't come till New yep. York. Yeah. So then, nope. I so mean, then if you, you count my husband, then yeah. Right. So exactly. Two and a half. But yeah, my, I had, yeah. we had we had the third in New York. So so yeah. you're you're deciding that it's time to move on and, and you want to do a morning show and be a little bit more well well rounded. So did you reach out to the ABC folks or did they come to you? No, I um I had been talking with the um, talent coordinator, I guess, just to put it in layman's terms at ABC when she was over at the, the CBS at the network. And she had reached out to me when I was in Chicago. And this was right after I had my second kid. And she had recruited me to come to New York to work at CBS. And I remember telling my agent, I was like, I just know how I go on this interview. I have no, I remember, I'm not going to New York. He's like, just go, just meet her, just meet everybody. So I decided to go out to New York. I literally, I intentionally sabotaged this interview, Sarah. I mean, Sean McManus, who was the president at the time, um, like, so why do you want to come here? And I was like, I don't. Do you have anything in Chicago for me? Like a correspondent position? Um, so I, I just had no desire to, to live and work in New York City at that time. Well, anyway, the talent coordinator that was at CBS, um, she moved over to ABC. And like another year or two has passed and my contract's up. And she said, hey, she, she reached out to me out of the blue and it was right. It just happened to coincide with these talks that I was having with management about, you know, transitioning out of out of sports, staying at the NBC affiliate and doing something, you know, in relation to a morning show. And I said, well, I wouldn't say my position has changed in New York. I said, I still don't love it, but I'm open. So she brought me out there. I met with the news president and, you know, it was like it was a great experience. And I thought, why not? Like, Nothing else was opening in Chicago. There are no positions at the time that were open. I didn't want to just be the sports chick. That's as they would, were, you know, relegating me. They were saying nobody would, would, would right. will accept you as anything. But I just thought, you know what, this is an opportunity. If it doesn't work out, hey, at least, you know, I've gone for it. Um, but I just felt like it was in the cards at that time. So it's not that we wanted to come to here, but we just felt like, the doors were opening. Like, we're people of faith. My husband and I were like, we kind of felt like God was opening the door to come to New York, even though we didn't really want to, but the doors were shutting in Chicago. So we just took a cue and we're like, okay, I guess maybe we're supposed to go out here. So how it all happened. So what was the biggest adjustment going from Chicago to New York and going from local to national? Oh my gosh. The biggest adjustment. Are you talking like professionally or personally? I would say either one, like you get to New York and what's the thing that you're like, oh, wow, this is totally different. The living situation. We, we went from you know, living in, in the city of Chicago. We had a decent sized condo. We literally had to get rid of everything 
I'm not joking. We, we were living in a, basically a one and a half bedroom apartment um, for two years. We didn't have to see, there's no place. Like I love to go to the suburbs and I, I or actually I love to go to like Costco and Target. Like you, you can't really do that anymore when you live in the city. So like I miss, I miss having a washer and dryer. I miss having a place to park our car. You know, we had a minivan. My husband, like we'd have, have to find street parking. Just like the little things that you take for granted that are so easy, it, they just don't exist you know, when you, when you moved to New York city. So for me, that was like the living situation was a huge, huge adjustment. I will say I did like, I did embrace the fact that you can literally exist within your couple of blocks, wherever you're living. (laughs) I mean, you don't really have to go outside of those couple of blocks, but I'm the type of girl, like I said, I grew up with a cornfield in my backyard. I like space. I like good green. At the end of the day, like for my own psyche, uh, my psychological well-being, I need to see a horizon at the end of the day. So, you know, after living in the city for a couple of years and getting pregnant, I was like, I got to move to the suburbs. I just need to know that I can walk out um, to the porch, you know, crack open a beer if I want one, fire up the grill instead of just living in a cramped apartment. It's just not me. So So that was the biggest... That's what I was going to say. For me, that was the biggest. Yeah. Yeah. Professionally, because, it's, totally, it's, like it's totally different professionally. Um, but go ahead. I, I, I was going to say, because I, it feels like, and it sounds like um, once you adjusted to that, like you didn't regret your decision at all. Because I remember a couple of years in, I, I got an offer to take a job in, in New York and, and leave ESPN. And I'm very glad I didn't take it. But you were like, absolutely do it like you'll miss Chicago but this is awesome and I'm so glad that I came Mm -hmm. and and was that Mm -hmm. mostly fueled by just professionally the doors that open when you become a part of these these bigger national shows and and have the opportunity to do something that you were wanting to do um I don't know I just as you said there like there's so many opportunities here there's so many opportunities I'm all I've always been that person like if you don't at least try you'll always live with a little bit of that regret. Now, like, I do miss Chicago. Like, do I think I'll be in New York forever? Absolutely not. This is not home. It's home for now. It's what I say. It's home for now. It's home for now for, for both my husband and I. But, like, you know, we miss the older that we get, the older our parents get. We miss being close to family. We miss having that, that support system. Um, <clears throat> and But it's been, this ride is great that we're on right now. And we, we're trying to take advantage of it as much as possible. I mean, there's nothing you can't do in New York, nothing you can't experience in New York. So just trying to take advantage of, you know, one of the greatest cities on earth, but knowing that it's home for now, but it's not, it's not going to be our final, our final destination. So. What's the toughest part sense. about when, yeah, for sure. Totally does. Um, what's the toughest part about, um, being on The View or GMA when you're interviewing people, you, you know, that not necessarily that you just disagree with about about politics or major issues, but mm-hmm. uh, maybe you just don't respect they're 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 a bad person. They're a criminal or they've done bad things or they're they're they, they're no yeah. liars. <laughs> How do you interview those people and yeah. have balance? I just remember <laughs> I just remember at the end of the day. This is their story to tell. This is not my story to tell for them. And I think as, as a journalist, you have that that has to be your calling card. You, I don't ever want to become the story. I want to be able to let them tell their story. And you know, so, so it doesn't matter if I don't like them or not. It doesn't matter if I love them. I'm going to, I always say like my, my motto 
when I interview people, I'm going to be fair and firm. And I hope you never know, you know, yes, I grew up very conservative. Okay. But that does not mean that I still lean conservative. You know what I mean? Especially, you know, in the political sphere. Um, I don't want people to know, you know, who I'm voting for um, at, at the end of the day. But um, yeah, I've interviewed a lot of people that are totally holes, but I'm going to be respectful. So that's that's what I think we're called to do. I mean, and there's a difference right now. The, the, the issue with especially this political climate we're in is that the lines are blurred between journalism and pundit and commentary. And people don't like and, and even good journalists now are giving their opinion, which I don't think is I think it's totally out of line. I don't feel that and this. This isn't necessarily something that I've gone on record and said, but I really don't think that journalists should should vote. Hmm. As long as they're working as a part of, the, as they are, if they are a member of the active media, you're different. You know what I'm saying? Right. Well, for somebody that, that has to cover politics, politics on a daily yeah. basis, somebody that has to interview a Donald Trump or a Hillary Clinton or a Joe Biden or an Elizabeth Warren, I feel like, yes, voting is such an honor and such a, a civic responsibility but I feel like at the end of the day, if I am a member of the media and a journalist, then my obligation to the viewers, to it, my obligation to them to let the viewers know that I am being neutral and that I am being completely objective, usurps my right to vote. And I know that might sound funny, but I just don't want people to know. I mean, how can they trust the questions that I'm asking or my, my line of questioning, if they don't, if, if they know that I have voted for X, Y, Z, or, you know, if I voted for this candidate or that candidate, I just really want to reiterate my objectivity. And just because I may have, you know, personal leanings, I'm not going to let that get in the way of doing my job ever. I won't ever let, you know, the, the things that I hold dear and my core values, to, to get in the way of being respectful and fair and firm with whomever I'm interviewing. Right. As I said, goes back to it's their story to tell, not my story to tell. So I guess that not leads my me to my, to my next question, which if you, know, <clears throat> if you are fair and firm with everybody regardless, and if you want them to tell their story, how does it affect you and, and other journalists right now, this whole sort of phenomenon of fake news? Because if they're telling their story, but it's not true, right? Or if they, or if mm-hmm. they're, if what they're saying and what they're sending out, whether that's someone in, in entertainment, so you're saying, or, should I call them out on it? Right? How is, is that hard for you? Because it, it's you. It, you're right. It is their <laughs> no. story, but if their story is isn't true, then are you the only person standing of between course. them and the mm-hmm. audience to get it right? No, I think you have to call them out on. But there's a way. I think there's. I've I've always been of the mindset that there's not a question that you can't ask. It just depends on your tone. You can be, I could ask the same question as maybe a Jake Tapper. I might ask it, you know, my, my, I'm always going to ask it with respect. I'm not saying that Jake Tapper won't, but I'm just saying um, you have to be able to call them on it, but you still do so with respect. It's still, again, it's their story. You're just trying to keep them honest. And there's a way to do it, and the way to do that is with professional and respectful tone. Yeah. Oh, so absolutely. Def- definitely. I mean, I, I definitely will push back. I mean, I just, you know, I've done, you know, like I, I had a, a big Sean Spicer interview in mm. September. Wow. And, and was asking him some, 
some really that was the first exclusive that he had done since right after what was the award ceremony was it the Emmys he had that appearance at the Emmys wasn't it the Emmys was yeah 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 when he came yeah, on okay. in the, yeah. the podium and, and yeah yeah so <laughs> I, interviewed right at, I, I interviewed him right after that I was the first to get the interview and I asked him tough questions really tough questions but I wasn't a about it you know I was respectful and I pushed back when I needed to um and but that's the thing. People are like, you need to call him out. I'm like, there is a way to do that. There is a way to hold people accountable. But and probably get more from accountable. them. Right. Yes. And there's a way. Yes, exactly. You get more from them. And I think like, that's the, it all goes back to like, who's trying to be the story here? Like, I don't want to be the story. I yeah, want, you don't, I want you don't need a bunch to, of think pieces about Paula Ferris no. is, is the hero everybody no, needs. I yeah. Could, <laughs> no, I couldn't. And you know what, Sarah, it's not going to surprise you or anybody listening. A lot of, there's a lot of journalists out there that need, that need to hear, that right. need to see their name in light. So, but yeah, I mean, I pushed back with Sean Spicer and, you know, I, I, I just did an interview like a month ago with Tavis Smiley from PBS and just, you know, pushing back on certain, you know, allegations that were made about him. You know, in regards of to sexual assault, sexual harassment, there's a way to do it, but you just do it with respect. That's it. With yeah. respect. I feel like like we've lost our com- just that decency. Oh, absolutely. And civilization. Yeah. yeah. You just the ability to have a conversation, to have have a meaningful conversation, have dissent, and to disagree without being completely disagreeable. So <clears throat> it's something that we all need to work on myself included but i try you know i'm just trying to i'm trying to do my best that so was I, one of I my model yeah. myself I'm, i i model myself after like i love um diane sawyer i think does a great job like you don't yeah. know where she stands on the issue but you know she's going to press you but she's going to press you and same with, the same with barbara walters um she's going to press you fairly mm-hmm. yeah. so so um yeah so when you're you're in New York now and you're on these big time shows and your schedule isn't the same every day of the week, um, does your husband work now? He does work outside of the home. He is a big time. He's a big shot um, manager in the world of commercial real estate. Oh, so okay. Once again, when we moved to Chicago, he 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 transitioned from coaching to real estate because that's of course you know what you do. Um, and then when we moved, but he was doing residential real estate. And then when we moved to New York, once again, my awesome husband gave up his job uh, <laughs> to move here without a job, watched, you know, raised the kids for a couple of months and got it until we could hire somebody to watch them. And um, he, he's working at a big commercial real estate law firm or not law firm, sorry, a commercial real, real estate. estate firm. Yeah. So, yeah. so mm-hmm. two questions about that. So what's the secret to, I think you guys are on what, 17 years now of marriage? Yes. Well, we're just, we're, it'll be 18 this year. We've been together for 21 years. We've mm. been together longer than we've been apart now. Yeah, that's, that's how long crazy. we've been together, which is crazy, is it not? What's your secret? What's what's your best advice? I'm I'm uh, I'm not quite two years in yet, but we've been together almost nine. Best advice is you know what? Just like John and I, we have we have very similar like sensibilities, and we laugh at really inappropriate things. Um, he makes me laugh a lot, but I think it's just to forgive I mean, and learn to let things go and not try to change the person. I went through, a, uh, I mean, we almost got divorced before we had kids. We were separated and I wanted to, I wanted to get a divorce. I had moved hmm. out 
and he but you know god love him john was like i'm not gonna not gonna let you go on but he he fought for the marriage and we got back together you know we we have had our ups and our downs i will say that we've been you know in and out of counseling um not not recently we've been we've been doing really really great and but he he never gave up on me and uh we just had to be willing to forgive and move past move past the hurt and yeah. i think that was you know for us just being able to to um you know kind of like reading the marriage and, and start over it was big instead of holding things over one another's head just realize listen you know none of us are perfect and you got to stop accepting perfection from you know two imperfect people so yeah I yeah, love that answer because it's, lo- it's so know. honest, you know, that you talk mm-hmm. about that you that you that you wanted to leave and that you've had a bunch of ups mm-hmm. and downs. And I think um, a lot of people really early on and I, I still think nine years is, is fairly early on. Um, a lot of people yeah. want to give up and they don't get that. Like, is there anybody in the universe, best friends mm-hmm. and family included, that you could spend all your time with and not have days no. where you're like, get out of my face, right? Like, no, we don't expect no. that of anyone else, but for whatever reason, yeah. we, we expect that. And and there's so many interesting studies about how our body makeup actually changes throughout the cycles of a relationship. Like, we're not flooded with the endorphins after the first year, which is why a lot of people break up after your seven-year itch and all these things that are actual chemical changes in our body. Um, but a lot of times, I think we just, we try to simplify it into, well, it's not as exciting as it was in the first year, so I guess that's that's it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know. It's, it's, and they're just. And my thing is, like, love isn't just a feeling; it's a choice too. It's like you choose to love somebody when all you want to do is walk, mm. when all you want to do totally. is leave. It's it's you know it's it's it can it's it's tough. So, but everything that just just think about like the most rewarding things that you have ever accomplished or earned in your life, you worked hard at, didn't you? Like nothing that came easy was satisfying. Yeah. So, I mean, and it's just, it's the same with marriage. It, it, it really is. So, um, you know, so that, he's, yeah. he's, and, and I will say like so many people, Oh, marry your best friend. Well, you know what? Not really. Like just one of my best friends, but like, I know that I also need healthy relationships outside of my relationship. I need healthy female relationships i also need healthy male relationships outside of oh totally yeah i had an ex and um, he was of the opinion that your your... person is everything to you everything you don't you shouldn't need other no that's not going to work for me yeah no it's not and you know what the people that have that mentality are probably do because you're looking for that person to fulfill every single thing in your life instead of you know, A, looking at yourself, you know, make sure you're the best version that you can be. But also, like, you have to you have to diversify that field a little bit. I'm not saying it's sexual. I'm not saying anything else. But you need to you, you need to have strong relationships outside of, of your marriage with with girlfriends, you know, or if you're, you know, you have to have, like John goes away with his buddies in college all the time. And I do, too. You know, I'm I have I have really strong girlfriends. So. Um, you know, he's a dude. If he listen a lot, you know, and he has selective hearing. Like, I need people that are going to need girls in my life that are going to listen and laugh. Totally. You know? Totally. So, so, yeah, I would, that's, that's, that's something else. Like, don't expect that person to be your best friend. I mean, expect them to be one of your best friends, but you need to, you need to have, you need to have other, other strong relationships in your life as well. So. Totally agree. All right. We're running out of time. So I have to do a sp- quick speed round. Number one, Uh-oh. favorite interview ever. 
Bo Schembechler. Okay, interesting. Least I, I know it's random. <laughs> yeah, no, but no, you're random. You know, I'm a Michigan girl. Like yeah, it's, I, that's Bo, your, Jim Harbaugh, Bo. Like that. That for me, I, you know what? It may not have been everybody else's, you know, favorite interview, but for me, it's the one that will always stick out. So. Okay, one of your least favorites. What pops into your head? Keeper Sutherland. Oh, really? Just not a nice guy. This is a speed round, right? You can't yes. elaborate. Sorry. Okay, Keeper <laughs> Sutherland. Moving on. Dream interview. Dream interview? Yeah, someone you oh. haven't gotten to that you'd love to talk to. Oh, gosh. I already, like, huge Jackman I have a huge crush on, which my husband <laughs> knows, by the way. But I would love to interview him again. Um, another dream interview. You know what? I'd love to interview the president, not because I love or hate the guy, but, like, who wouldn't want to interview the president? Right. Yeah, especially because so. there's been so little access to him, right, where we can just ask him things I know. and get actual responses. Anything. Yeah. <laughs> Anything. Yeah. yeah. So he's done, like, he's done no interviews. Right. So, yeah. Right. Um, worst day at work? Worst day at work? Yeah. Is there a day that stands out where it was just terrible? Mm. Oh, my gosh. I got sick at work. Does that count? Well, I remember there was the time when you were having trouble breathing and then you had to tell everyone you were pregnant. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> but wait, that wasn't that a bad day. That actually seemed like a good day. It was kind no, of joyful. That was, that was awful. I did gestational, <laughs> uh, gestational asthma and I literally, I, I felt like somebody had a noose around my neck and around oh, my chest. No. I couldn't get in the air when I was, when I was doing GMA and, and ter- I was pregnant. I was like almost 20 weeks pregnant and I hadn't divulged it yet. But everyone's like, oh, it's so cute. It's so endearing. You lost your breath. And I was like, no, I literally had a panic attack on the oh, air. Oh, no. So, yes, that was, that was definitely one of was my up worst. up there then. Worst. All right. All right. What about yep. one of your best days at work? One of my best days at work? Um, gosh, there's so many. Honestly, like, no, it's have like to every be... day there. It's like jam packed with it's it's like when you're starting out and people you ask your favorites, it's really easy. And then after a couple of years, you're like, oh, my God, I can't even there's too many. I know that's hard to differentiate, but I love working with the weekend crew and like Dan Harris, my co-anchor is like one, he's my work husband. I love him more than life itself. And yeah. Rob Marciano and all those guys and Ron Clayborn. So anytime I'm around that, my that cast, those are my people. It's a good day. Love that. All right, and the last thing that you have to do, because everybody does it and nobody expects it. I didn't expect a kind of Spanish Inquisition. (laughs) Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. That's right, the eight questions that nobody expects. Number one, the natural talent you wish you were gifted with. Um, The natural talent that I, I wish I was really good at gymnastics. Ooh, random. Okay, I like this. Everyone says singing. I am flexible, I'm, I'm glad about that. But... Uh, number two, your Desert Island album. You can only have one. Oh, my Desert album. Um, it's Chicago. One of the Chicago, old nice. Chicago albums. Nice. Uh, three, mm-hmm. if you could switch lives it's with anyone for, for a day. Say I'm sorry. How about so that? schmoozy, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. If you could switch lives with anyone for a day, who would it be? Anybody for a day? Oh, I would have... Uh, switch lives with like uh, Mary Lou Retton. Oh, okay, gymnastics just, just again. To win. Just All right. to win. You're, I know. You're, you're waiting know. for the Summer Olympics to come back, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, number four, what's the most scared you've ever been? The most scared that I have ever been? Probably in labor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've had three babies, so yeah, that's That'll probably the it. most scared. Like, what yeah. the hell is happening to my body? <laughs> Uh, number five, what would you consider your biggest failure? My biggest failure? Oh, 
where do we begin? I thought this was supposed <laughs> to be like quick. My, well, one of my biggest failures. See, I'm also that person. Like, I don't feel like there's truly a failure because if you can learn something from it, yeah, then it's sure. a lesson. Did what felt like a big failure at the time? <sighs> what felt like a big failure at the time? Can I pass and come back to Yes, it? yes. Okay. Uh, number six, <laughs> what habit or quality do you think has contributed most mm-hmm. to your success? Um, I work really hard. That's a good one. Uh, seven, mm-hmm. the thing about yourself you'd most like to improve? My memory. It's bad. It's, my memory's so bad. No, I have to interview Jimmy Kimmel next week. And I was telling the, one of the producers at The View, I was like, I don't think I can be on the show because I have to interview Kimmel. I, I said, what's he like? I've never interviewed him. He's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yes, you have. I said, no, I haven't. He sent me a screen grab of the oh, show that I was gosh. on when we interviewed Kimmel. And I couldn't remember. And then it took a photo for me for it to jog my memory. Wow. Okay. I literally feel like I, ha- I think I have amnesia. Right. And that's a lot of years of interviews starting to pile up too, where you're like, I can't even remember one of the big <laughs> stars. Yeah. Okay. I know exactly. Yeah. But I yeah. do remember it in now. I just yeah. took a photo to jog my memory. That's so. crazy. Okay. Um, number eight, what three I like words? The Spanish Inquisition. Yes. The Spanish Inquisition makes you dive deep. Uh, yes, it does. What three words would you most hope that people would use to describe you? It doesn't have to be a phrase, just three no, separate just three words, different, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I would say honest, relatable, and funny. Oh, those are good. And I fun. like relatable. Maybe fun. Maybe yeah. fun. Fun. Fun, yeah. Um, all right, we're back mm-hmm. to it. Biggest failure. Biggest failure. Oh, my gosh. I once did a pretty terrible job in my one my one Big Ten sidelines gig. It wasn't awful. I didn't like totally flub anything. <laughs> I just said the wrong weight of like the statue at University of Illinois, and then I like because oh, it was my only time. I forgot that the people were hearing the announcers. So when the starting quarterback went down and there was a backup at the halftime break, and I asked the coach, "And what about that backup? What a great job!" Because I was thinking to myself, maybe people don't know his name, forgetting that the announcers have been saying this guy's name the entire half without oh, me hearing yeah, it. Exactly. So it like wasn't a terrible, ma- massive thing. I didn't say f bomb or anything it just wasn't good and i never got offered another shot at it oh my god it's okay sarah but look at where you are now yeah i'm doing okay i didn't like it that much anyway but it wasn't great you're doing you're doing fun i will say when i was in chicago okay i had a couple of failures if we're talking about this i said play cock instead of play and i said i said jack and i said jack off i still remember (laughs) it it was i okay (laughs) I, i what i meant to say I was doing play-by-play, so I was saying, and Derek Lee hit the jack off of Jeff Supon. And I said, Derek Lee hit the jack off. (laughs) And... Yeah, so that was probably one of my biggest failures. Those will mm-hmm. happen. Yeah, people, a lot of people yeah, say was, they have a I lot of success. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I wasn't thinking of anything like in the in the work field. I was like thinking of personal failures. I was just was, giving like, you an really easy out. With I was just giving yeah, you because apparently you failed out. so rarely that you can't think of anything. <laughs> no, I have so many, but I'm like, which ones do I want? Okay, another failure. What one of my biggest regrets was not opening that letter from Brian Larson in fifth grade. He handed it to him. I'm pretty sure he was going to tell me he had a crush on me. Oh. And I, he gave me the letter, and I threw it back at him, and I ran away because I was so shy. And I didn't know how to interact with boys. You could so, have been married to Brian Larson point. right now. Could have been a no, whole I know. different... Seriously, I could have been. <laughs> I actually told that story on The View, and his wife reached out to me. And That's she's like, yeah, amazing. I know. <laughs> That's so awesome. He did like you. 
but I was like, you know, like you have a crush, but nobody ever talks to one another. That's how it yeah, is in fifth grade, right? Yeah. So, now he'd be sending you some Snapchats and, uh, I yeah, know. it's funny. It's um, all right. The last question, the bonus question, who would you recommend Uh-oh. that I have on this podcast to have a conversation with? And it can be anyone. It can be anyone. Anybody in the whole wide world. Oprah? Okay, can we think somebody that I might have a chance of getting? Yeah, I'd love to talk to Oprah. Give her a call for me. <laughs> yeah, I will. Or how about how about BT, the big big Donald, Donald Trump? Okay, he, again. Has he not come on the show? I, I, and also, I don't know that ESPN would be down for that conversation. Um, <laughs> does it, does it have, do they have to fall under the sports category? In the sports no, category? I have or all sorts of entertainers. Anybody? And, yeah, anybody. What have you talked? To, have you thought about talking to George Stephanopoulos? That could be interesting. Yeah. He's, All right, that's your that's very, that's your one. I'm adding it to the list. Add it, add it to the list. And then when I want to have him on, I'm going to call you. Yeah, to tell him to come on. <laughs> just know how to just know how to spell his last name before yes, you bring him on. So. I will absolutely. Actually, like you have to imagine, like he's got it. He's he's got a, a good sense of humor, even though people don't see it a lot. Look who he's married to. He's married yeah. to a freaking comedian for God's sake. I know. I so, love it. I love it. I know. It's really um, good. Awesome. Well, it was great talking to you and catching up. Thanks, Sarah. Well, that's what she said. This week's That's What She Read is a story in Vanity Fair that my colleague Mina Kimes shared on Twitter and, and directed everybody to. And it's called The Bittersweet Beauty of Adam Rapon. It's by Richard Lawson. And it's just a really beautiful story about how the first out gay Winter Olympian for the United States means so much to the LGBTQ community. And I was just talking to somebody uh, who is asking, how did you get into sports? Was it what you always wanted to do? And um, and obviously those who listen to the pod know that I was more interested in comedy and, and acting. And it wasn't until later that I got into sports. And that was even despite being an athlete and following sports and loving sports. But I didn't see anyone doing what I wanted to do. There were no women that got to have this big personality and be funny in sports. And that's all back to representation, right? And we talk about it a lot. And I think a lot of people think, you know, it's forced, but if you can see it, you can be it. And representation is so important. And this story kind of points out how much this man, this author, uh, would have gained from having someone like Adam Rapon, the figure skater that's, you know, blowing up at the Winter Olympics out in Pyeongchang, uh, how much that would have helped him as a kid in his friendships, in his social life, in his professional life, everything else. And, at the end, uh, there's a great line about how how wonderful it is to see someone be embraced for the things that he sort of feared when he was younger and, and worried that others might judge him for. He says, Watching Rapon's program and all the subsequent fervor, I let myself drift back to my socked foot skating days. I wonder if Ryan watched the broadcast. This was a young friend that he uh, used to pretend figure skate around the house with. And what he might have thought about it. I entertained a bittersweet fantasy, wishing that we were kids now, watching Rapon's big skate together, maybe not aware of what exactly we were seeing, but possessed of that internal knowing, that recognition of same that comes to inform so much of gay life. The new sadness that bloomed in me last summer when I learned the true history of me and my friend Ryan was compounded, but in a strange way also healed on Sunday night. How often, in ways petty and profound, the world tries to tamp down what Adam Rapon so wondrously, confidently exuded on that ice. And how terrific that so many kids may have seen it and loved it and then gone skating around their own living rooms, maybe feeling a little freer than before. Again, it's in Vanity Fair. You can find it on VanityFair.com. The Bittersweet Beauty of Adam Rapon by Richard Lawson. Uh, I thought it was a great piece.
Thanks, as always, for lasting about an hour with me. That's what she said.